Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. Today, I have one of my besties, known her since sixth grade, right? Mm -hmm. We have an amazing friendship today, but it wasn't always like that. You are a clinician now? Yes. You're LMFT? I'm a licensed professional counselor candidate in the state of Colorado and a registered mental health counselor intern in the state of Florida. Sweet. When do you get your license? Probably in six months for Florida. It's a different test for each state, right? So Florida has extra requirements, actually a little bit different. Mm -hmm. One of them, I need nationwide. And then Florida has a different exam, which is similar to the NCE. And then in Colorado, I have more of a legal exam as well. Exciting stuff. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll work together. Maybe one day we will. (laughs) I know we've said that a lot. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So we've known each other a long time. Should we start with the history of our friendship? Yeah. (laughs) Just so you know, one of my miracles in recovery is that our friendships have mended. It's definitely a big thing for me because there was a long time where I just didn't think it was ever going to happen. I think everyone who gets clean kind of goes through this situation where they have like a childhood friend or someone that they really did wrong when they were using and then have dealt with the guilt of like trying to stay clean and then just feeling like this person hates them. For me, it was just like I selfishly wanted you to just be like, hey, it's fine, like pick up where we left off. And it just wasn't like that, you know, and I, I see it all the time now. Like I have people I sponsor all the time that are like, oh, yeah, I don't see why this person won't talk to me. Or like I wrote this person a letter. and I'm just like, no, dude, just stop. I was sponsoring this kid now. He's like, yeah, I did all this fucked up shit to my ex. And, you know, I reached out to her the other day and she wasn't having it. And I was like, dude, just leave her alone for a while. Yeah. So we met in middle school. What was I like in middle school? You were wild. You were <laughs> you were like the cool bad boy that like all the guys wanted to be friends with, all the girls that was just so cool and like wanted to date. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Doing drugs at school. <laughs> yeah, all the time. Yeah, sometimes when I like tell people stories, they're like, oh, wow, was that college? I was like, no, that was middle school. <laughs> Literally at 13. Yeah. When I was in like sixth and seventh grade, I was like having friends that were like seniors and stuff. Like I was driving, I was selling weed. You know, I got like good grades. And like, I remember like middle school was like the highlight of my life. After that, it like went real downhill fast. You peaked in middle school. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> peaked in middle school. That was like as good as it was ever going to get. Till today, it was like my high school. Like I was going to keggers, I had like older friends. All the girls, popular, and then it was just like, (laughs) just like crash and burned. Yeah, you grew up fast. A lot of that was being super insecure, having like older friends and being so scared that someone would like call me out, that I would call them out before they could and really mean. Like, I know I was like nice to you, but I was mean to a lot of people. I wasn't nice to you later, but like (laughs) (laughs) I was like really mean growing up. And I was trying to tell someone the other day when I got clean, I had to like really practice being nice. Like I just didn't understand how to like 
being nice to people and I had like such like a, a defense mechanism. And like, as soon as I met someone, I was always just like a total dickhead. And like I was sharing like on one of the episodes, like I really am like a recovering douchebag, you know, because like I just was such a scumbag, you know, an asshole. So middle school, picking you up. Like I remember like driving. Out of your parents' yeah. uh, Mercedes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember sneaking out of my window at 13, mm-hmm. getting in your parents' Mercedes. Yeah, I remember like you know my how mom. how to drive. <laughs> yeah, my mom had like, my mom had just bought like this C-class. I was driving it instantly. Like no one taught me how to drive. I hit a mailbox in fifth grade. Oh, God. I think at sixth or seventh grade, I was pretty good at driving. Yeah, you were like a great driver. <laughs> I love cars. <laughs> I love cars. And I would do it to like, all the girls in high school or middle school. <laughs> I just one like, of the cars. It's like, yeah, it's like one of the cars. Like, I'll go pick you up. I'll pick you up tonight. Sneak out of your house. Skirt. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I remember it was like a lot of weed. And even till today, there are kids that I went to like middle school with who are like, dude, till today, you had like the best weed ever. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Made me feel real cool. I'm glad you're <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember doing coke in like seventh grade. And going to your house and just doing it, and you had, like, seven girls over. Good times. Yeah, mm-hmm. first time I saw cocaine was when you did it off of my counter in my bedroom at yeah. 13. Good times. Still haven't done coke to this day. Yeah, so you were, like, scared of doing it after that? <laughs> yeah. I do believe in, like, recreational drug use, I yeah. will say. Never had any issues with anything, but I think my brain just associates cocaine with, like, watching your mm-hmm. drug addiction and fall to addiction that turn to other things. Mm-hmm. So it is pretty addictive, yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I wasn't but like worried a lot of about peop- that happening. But- a lot of people do have, like, a recreational thing with cocaine for a couple of years, and then they grow up. Yeah. Some people just never do, you know? Yeah. For me, even as a kid, like, I remember instantly being addicted to it, like, instantly wanting to do it all the time. I totally forgot about marijuana. I didn't want to smoke weed. Just wanted to do coke all the time. And then selling it made me feel so cool. You know, I, like, thought I was, like, so cool selling coke. It was, like, the best. The movie <laughs> Blow had just came out. Listening to, like, all this rap music talking about selling coke. And, like, I could be selling a gram. And in my mind, it was, like, 10 kilos. <laughs> How did you feel, like, watching the progression of, like, my addiction? Like, because I remember, like, there was times where you were like, hey, Brian, like, I'm worried about you. Like, if we hang out, like, I don't want to be around drugs. Like, don't bring drugs over. Yeah. And then I'd be like, I swear I'm not. And then I would come over all fucked up. (laughs) It was pretty hard watching you fall to drugs and Mm -hmm. for that to turn into other things like blues, Roxy's, Oxy's, all of that. It was pretty sad to watch. I have a a pretty vivid memory of high school, like watching you do lines off the classroom table, like your desk, and the teacher having no idea that that was happening and like you getting up and teaching the class. But yeah, like, because I try to explain to people, like, I did drugs like it was coffee. Just like I have a Red Bull here, like, I would just be in class. I'd raise my hand with crushing up a pill on the desk like this, you know, and like I would just be snorting coke or snorting blues in the middle of class. Like drugs had become such a normal part of my life at that point. It really wasn't anything different than like drinking water or coffee to me because I at that point, like I needed drugs to even go to school. Yeah. And at the same time, like I wasn't scared of getting caught or anything because I would always have like pills in my waistband. Like I knew they would never find it. And I just, like, had zero fear or concept of, like, getting arrested at that point. 
I think looking back, it was like a super cry for attention because it's like I, I didn't have to do the drugs in class. So I think like looking back, a lot of my outside obnoxious behavior was really because like I wanted someone to like help me. But yeah. I also, if you tried, I'd be like, no, fuck you. I don't need help. You yeah. Know? But like deep down inside, I see that today with clients. Like I'll see a kid who like doesn't care about the rules, doesn't want to be there. And I know that a part of him like just wants like extra attention. Yeah. I'm recalling our friendship and I remember there was a time where we were super close and then we kind of like took a break. I think mm-hmm. it was in high school. We were it in- was right before military school. Do you remember that? No. Well, I think it was even before that. Mm-hmm. I remember like we were just freshmen and you had all these like senior friends and I was mm-hmm. like brand new freshman. And I remember <laughs> like walking by you and not acknowledging you and you got so mad at me, uh-huh. but it was just insecurity. I was like scared because all these people were a lot older. I didn't say hi to you. Or you didn't say hi I to me. I didn't say hi to you. Oh, you didn't and say And you hi got to me. really mad at me. So oh, gotcha. you didn't speak to me for like several days. Maybe it was like a week. But during that time, I remember feeling a little bit more peace because mm-hmm. I remember like when we were really close, worrying about you a lot mm-hmm. and the drug use. So I felt like having that break was like, okay, I think that this is like better for my nervous system. And then I think after that, I told you I didn't want to be friends. And then we took like a couple year break from our friendship. Mm-hmm. I remember there was multiple times where you told me like, look, I want to hang out with you, but I don't want you to be high. And then I would keep showing up like with drugs or like doing drug deals on the phone or whatever. I remember when I started smoking crack, there was like rumors that I was smoking crack and you called me and you were like, are you smoking crack now? And I remember being like, what? Like you don't even know what like crack is like. Yeah, I am. But like at the same time, I was like, it's really not that. Yeah, it's like (laughs) it's really not that different from Coke. Like chill out. Like people are so crazy. You smoke crack one time and you're automatically a crackhead. Like, you know, just doing that whole thing. And you were just like floored. Like, like what? Like, I think you expected me to be like, no, no way. And when I was kind of like, yeah, but it's not that big of a deal. You were like, I just can't believe this. When I would do like opiates, I would get like really like bipolar, where I would get like super angry and like super depressed and so emotional. It's like really embarrassing to like think about it now. I remember I went to military school and we weren't friends, mm-hmm. right? We had like stopped talking. And then I think when I got kicked out of school and my parents sent me to military school and like all this stuff happened, you reached out to me and I was kind of like, oh, now you want to reach out to me? And that's when, like, I started, like, all, like, the piece of shit behavior, like, gaslighting, just being, like, a total dickhead, trying to get you to feel bad for me. Yeah, I remember receiving, well, I think it was before that, I swear, if I turn on, if I turned on my old Nokia cell phone, I remember having a lot of those messages saved but you sent me a lot of a lot of wild stuff, like trying to get a rise out of me, mm-hmm. trying to get me to talk to you. Like I I remember one time you told me that you were in the hospital, that you got jumped, you had cracked ribs, mm-hmm. a broken nose, and I didn't respond. And I remember you saying, You're so cold. Like, <laughs> why won't you answer me? <laughs> I think like I did get jumped, but I didn't have cracked ribs. <laughs> but probably had like some bruising. Like for me, it was just like I didn't have a lot of close friends and like the friends that I did have were so surface level that like no one really knew me other than like this kid can get drugs. I didn't know how to keep someone close as a friend without them trying to figure out why I'm on drugs and like trying to help me. So at the same time, it's like I didn't want to lose someone as a friend 
And then there was like this whole bitterness and anger that I started to develop towards like my normal friends. And like, especially towards you, like I remember like life was just going on for everyone else and it just was stuck for me. So it's like everyone else was like going to parties and like thinking about the future. And here I was just like trying to come up with money to like not be dope sick and like I'm getting arrested and like my parents hate me or I think they hate me, you know. And then I have like my drug addict friends where like, we're all just trying to be cool and pretend like nothing's a big deal, but we're all like struggling in our own little world. I would like push you away. And then like whenever you would get close, I would be like, haha, I got her close now. And then I would just be like, what's really going to happen now? We're going to be friends. Like we're not going to be fucking friends. Like you have this perfect life and like my life sucks. And I remember just like started to like hate you because like, you know, you were like popular and everyone like loved you and like. I feel like I had like my one friend who abandoned me. And as drug addicts, it sounds crazy because we really do feel like people are abandoning us, which in reality, I'm like, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever talk to me again. And then I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're not talking to me. You know, <laughs> a lot of people go through those similar experiences. Well, what was it like, like before that for you? Just so like people know, because it got like really bad. Yeah. Okay. So we're going into <laughs> that. <laughs> it got to the point where I received like a lot of, a lot of intense messages from you. Mm-hmm. I remember you became friends with some of my friends and you guys would talk and my friends would tell me stuff. Mm-hmm. So I remember one friend told me that you told them that you would show up to my house drive around and like like park in front of my house and like stare mm-hmm. at my window. I remember after that, like compiled with like the messages I had mm-hmm. received and then hearing that, I remember trying to get a restraining order on you. Yeah. It's like so embarrassing to hear that because I remember just being like, I don't even remember saying that, but it's probably true. <laughs> yeah. And I just remember like writing you hateful messages just to get you to respond. Yeah. I don't know. You were like that one person in my life. You were like one of my only friends like I had in middle school that I feel like I didn't have to be like cool Brian that was like soul drugs. Like we had like a real friendship. Yeah. And even till today, like I have a lot of female friends, you know, and I think that, you know, when I get around like other men, I'm like really pushed to be the alpha male because like I think, you know, before middle school, I had a lot of older guy friends and it's like, if you don't assert dominance immediately, you're just the the butt of all the jokes or whatever. So like as a guy, I just felt like I had to be like the man and all this other shit. And I really couldn't just like, it was like tiring, you know, to just always have that mask on. And then I felt like with like some of my friends that were girls, like it kind of just be normal and like girls are different. They don't like compete against you. You know what I mean? They're just like. Not against guys. (laughs) They don't compete against guys. Ah, They do compete (laughs) against whatever. But um, like Tony (laughs) Robbins has this thing where he says, uh, you know, girls walk around, they're like, oh, Becky, your butt is so big. They're like, no, yours is bigger, da 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 And then guys are like, shut up, Billy. You know my butt's bigger than yours. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that's totally true. <laughs> so it's just like I just felt comfortable, you know. I don't know. I just started to have, like, such hatred. You really were like, what, you were prom queen? So yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, fuck this bitch, you know? I was so mad at myself and like, you know, growing up in middle school, like I really thought like my life was just going to like take off and like me and all my friends were going to be like successful. You know, I got kicked out of school multiple times. 
me and all my friends were just like a bunch of like drug addicts, you know. And it's like I was smoking crack with people like 40 years old when I was like 14. Constant chaos at my house. My dad screaming and yelling and breaking shit. And then, you know, I'd go on MySpace and it would be like you with like everyone taking pictures. And I remember just being so angry and just feeling like totally alienated. And then I would get high and send these messages to you that were just like probably the most fucked up shit I could ever think of for years. I remember this one time you and Carla went to a party. You remember this? (laughs) And you kicked us out. (laughs) I invited you guys. I feel so bad. Do you remember that? Wait, you didn't invite us? At Jimmy's? Yeah. You told Jimmy to kick us out. and then, when you got there. Yeah, yeah. And then I think Jimmy told us that he wanted us to leave and we left. Mm-hmm. And then we get another call, I believe, from Jimmy or Ryan. To come back. <laughs> to come back. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you were so mad. Well, so I think this is what it was. I remember I texted you and you had gone into a car accident. Do you remember this? Like a fender bender? Yeah, but or I've, not not a fender bender. That was was it a bad accident? It was a pretty bad accident. Oh it really? Was, uh, yeah, uh, that was high school. Someone was drinking and driving. I was in the car. Wow. Yeah, and we hit a pole. I didn't and know that. So left the scene. So I imagine that it wasn't like a big deal, but I remember like I text you and I'm like, this is my way to like get back at her to be like. Hey, I heard you in this car accident. I really want to see you. I was just like wondering, like, man, if anything ever happened to you, I'd be so sad. And then I was like, you should come over to Jimmy's house. He's having like all these people over. And you're like, oh, thanks. Okay, whatever. And then like, as soon as I got to Jimmy's house, like when you go to a cake party, there's like a party and everyone hanging out. And then upstairs, like the real drug addicts, you know? (laughs) And it was like me and the real drug addicts. And my friend was there and he had set somebody up and robbed them 1300 bucks worth for, like, weed and, like, left me in the car with them. And it was, like, this big ordeal, and I hadn't seen him since. And I remember I went upstairs, and I saw him, and I was so pissed off. Like, bro, you fucked me over. Like, you robbed this dude, didn't cut me in on any of the money, left me in the car with him. So it's like, bro, if you're going to rob someone, like, let me in on the fucking robbery, and, like, we'll do it together. You just fucking left me there. Like, the guy pointed a gun at me. He worked with me. So I had to, like, quit my job. This guy was going to kill me. I don't know how he didn't do anything to me. I was so angry, and, like, I snorted all these pills. I remember I did, like, five Roxies. And then as soon as you showed up, I just, like, instantly knew that you would know that I was— because I told you I was clean or something. (laughs) And I knew that you would just know that I was high. And I instantly was like, get the fuck out. And Jimmy was like, dude, like, why would I kick them out? And I'm like, dude, it's them or me. Get them out of (laughs) here. And then I remember you were like— what the fuck? Wild times. Thanks for sharing the backstory on that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy to think about it now. But it's like that was just like how I lived. Like that was just like typical day. And like all of those kids, not all of them, but a lot of those kids I grew up with that were using have all became like hardcore drug addicts. Like I was talking to a friend today. Like there's this girl I used to use with like not around. She died, you know, and it's like when you're young, it's so hard to see like the trajectory of what you're doing today. You know, like when we were in high school, like later on, people became like bad drug addicts or alcoholics or whatever. But when you're a kid, you just don't. When I was a kid, I just didn't feel like I would ever get to like adulthood. It just seems so far away, you know. So you're like, fuck it. I just do whatever I want now. I think that was like the end of like us ever talking ever again. I think for a while. Yeah. I think probably until you got clean. I think even when I got clean, we didn't really talk. That took that took time. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of things that were difficult for me getting clean was like dealing with people still labeling me as like a drug addict, even though I was clean. Yeah. 
So it's like, I remember like trying to go back to high school and it's like, you know, when I was in ninth grade, like my friends were like seniors and stuff. So it's like, it was so difficult for me because it's like, I didn't know anybody that was in high school that I was like friends with. Yeah. You know, like my friends were like, had already graduated or whatever. I really didn't hang out with anyone in school. Like there wasn't one person in school that was like kicked it with, you know what I mean? What was it like for you? Like when I started to like get really bad? It was really hard to watch. I didn't know, honestly, like, if you were going to make it, where your life was going to go from there. Yeah. But at the same time, I felt like there was not really anything that I could do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was definitely hard to watch, but I still think that episode in class, what was it, science or Spanish? (laughs) I I think it was science. When I was was using or clean? No, when when you were using, I think that that was probably, like, the worst visual that I had. The tipping point? Yeah, was, like, you doing lines in class and, like, getting up and teaching the class and, and all of that. But, no, yeah, it, it because was hard to watch. I think uh, people that didn't know me were like, this kid's just crazy. But, like, if you knew me before, you were like, no, he wasn't always like that, you know? Yeah. Like, he definitely, like, lost it. Yeah, like, Anthony Moonstow cuts my hair. And he was no like, way. yeah, <laughs> I love him so much. He's the man. <laughs> yeah, he'll tell me stories. He's like, bro, in high school, you were just, like, totally gone. Yeah. I no, rem- I remember you, like, throwing up in the trash can sometimes, yeah. too. Just, like, yeah, too when you, sick. Yeah, when you just do, doing too much. When you do opiates, you get really nauseous. Yeah. So, like, throwing up to me was also, like, sneezing. It was just, like... You throw up three, four times a day, you know? So there was, like, it's really crazy to think about now because it was, like, not weird for me to, like, run out of class, puke into the trash in the hallway, and then just go back to class. Yeah. I don't know. I I also remember just, like, kind of being, like, angry that the teachers wouldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would they do? What could they do? I don't yeah. know. But I just I just remember just also just being mad that no one really stepped in. I was like, okay, he's clearly on something. Like, why is this just happening all the time and no one's doing, any, doing anything about it? Yeah, I remember snorting pills in class and this girl, I guess she didn't know what time it was. And she was just like, what? And I was just looking at her like, mind your business, bitch, you know? And she like got up and like ran to like the principal's office and was like, there's a kid snorting drugs in my class. And they came in and I remember like uh, it was Dennis and them and they like searched me and they didn't find anything. And they, they were like, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. And I just looked at her like the most evil face. <laughs> when I did get clean, I remember I texted two people that I was going to treatment. One of them was you. No response. Yeah, so then I remember, like, years of, like, messaging you with, like, no response. Probably, like, two years. Yeah. You know? I think, like, the worst part about being a drug addict is being, like, so alone. But at the same time, like, I wasn't a victim. You know what I mean? Like, I knew I had created all this. And I knew that even if, like, someone did talk to me, I was like, I'm not getting clean. You know? Yeah. I remember the last time you texted me before I got clean, I, like, sent you something crazy. And you just wrote back, you're pathetic. And I remember just being like, wow. And then you were right. I was just like, yeah. And a part of me was like, why do I do this? You know, like I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to send like crazy text messages. I just was like high and fucked up. A lot of times when I share my story, people are like, oh, that's so sad. I'm like, well, at the time, it wouldn't have felt that way. <laughs> you know, Like, I don't think anyone in school, maybe other than Paola, was like, oh, that, that's like really sad. People were like, yeah, that kid's like fucked up. Yeah. You know? And then I got clean. And then you got clean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so getting clean was so difficult because, like, it was like I'm back in high school. Like, I hated school so much. I just had it in my mind that everyone had normal lives. But, like, people have reached out and been like, dude, my whole family was fucked up. Like, 
people cut themselves, people had like severe depression, you know, people like had killed themselves. And there were so many people in high school that were dealing with so many issues. You just never heard about it. Yeah. You just never really knew. Yeah. You know? A lot of the times people don't really talk about what's up for them. I think times are changing, but I think when we were growing up, it was still, I feel like messaging from our parents' generation mm -hmm. of like, we don't really talk about our feelings or what's going on, kind of keep it behind closed doors. Yeah. And it, I don't know. I just don't see anybody like talking about, like we had like one classic on mental health and depression. Mm -hmm. That was it. Like, I don't know. There just wasn't any talk about mental health I know. in school. I know. Now I think it's wild. I mean, being a therapist now, and like looking at the curriculum mm -hmm. from growing up, I think it's crazy that no one teaches us what emotions are, mm -hmm. right? Like coping skills, how how to get through, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something that we kind of like just what a healthy relationship looks like, right. what are signs Boundaries, of like an unhealthy relationship, depression. yeah. You know how to like because there are like s simple signs that you can see that are like toxic, unhealthy, or whatever. Just like at least the basics or places to go. Mm -hmm. You know, like, because it's like, maybe you don't want to talk about it to people in school, but like, there's places for like, or there should be places that kids could go to and get like some type of counseling or therapy. Or like a part of me was like, because I felt like such a piece of shit, like, all throughout my active addiction, I was just like, dude, there's something wrong with me. Like, I don't deserve to live. Like, I should just die. Like, I had a lot of thoughts of suicide. I have thoughts of like, just overdosing or whatever. And now that I'm an adult, I was like, dude, I was still 17, you know? And when I would talk to adults, it was always like in a punitive manner. It was always like, oh, this is a bad kid. Oh, this kid's going to be real trouble for the other kids. And then it'd be like, when are you going to get your act together? That's what I heard. All It wasn't like, wow, why is this kid on such hardcore drugs right. at such a young age? This is kind of disturbing. Yeah. Like, like something's going on here right? inside mentally and he needs therapy and treatment. Well, it's going to be a rough road for you when you go to jail, you yeah. know, because that's kind of like how like the principal will talk to me. That's how like teachers will talk to me. It's like, oh, well, you know, if you're having trouble now, kid, it's going to be a rough road for you later on. I just never had any like real genuine help. Right. Even in like therapy that I was forced to go to through the courts. When I got clean, I remember like reaching out to you. And being like, oh, now that I'm clean, like me and Brooks Alice are going to be best friends again. And I'm like, that did not happen. So I remember when I got out of detox, I was like, I had read a book about like the 12, like a book about someone who got clean. And I knew part of it was like making amends. So this is like a foolish thing that people do when they get clean is they go and say they're sorry to everybody. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to anonymously leave flowers at our house. I remember like two days later, someone's like, dude, I heard you dropped off flowers at Brooke's house. And she's like thinking about calling the cops on you. <laughs> I was like, what? How did she know it was me? What the fuck? <laughs> I got out on Valentine's Day and I didn't know. I didn't even like I tell people all the time, like when I got clean, I didn't know the order of the months. I literally didn't know what month came after certain months. I only knew October, November, December. Like those are the only months I knew. I was just like so fucked up. And it's I like your birthday, Thanksgiving, my, Christmas. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly that's, that's the only months I knew. I didn't know how the other months worked. I didn't know what month Mother's Day was on. I didn't know what month Valentine's Day was. Like I had no idea. And that was Valentine's Day. Yeah. <laughs> Which was even creepier. I was like, I oh know. my God. Yeah. No, you left a, a bouquet of flowers and a red vase with no card. Funny, my mom still has that vase and like uses it <laughs> as like decor now. <laughs> Good memories. Yeah, so funny. What did you think? How did you know it was me? You Who else just, would it be? I knew it was you. <laughs> you're like this guy's out of his mind. 
What did you tell your parents? I told them it was you. <laughs> I think we were all thinking like, okay, this has to be from Brian. Your whole family? <laughs> yeah. They, wow, that's crazy. They knew what was happening. You used to always tell me like your parents were kind of on my side, right? Yeah, well, my, my dad's in recovery too. He's been sober for 39 years so uh, cool. from drugs and alcohol. Um, wow. Yeah, and so I think my dad definitely felt for you and my mom mm-hmm. did too. So I th- I think they were always hoping that you would get sober, but... They love you. They always ask about you. That's so cool. <laughs> I remember I had messaged you a couple times clean and like no response at all. I had written something like lengthy to you, like trying to make amends. Verbatim, I remember this. You were like, okay, well, you did fucked up shit to me for years. And while you were in La La Land, I was here clean and sober and like not under the influence of anything. So all those things you did to me aren't things that are like... You know, just I could just brush off. Like, I was wide awake dealing with all that for years. I think you were like, you know, I'm glad you're clean, but, like, want nothing to do with you. Getting clean and, like, hearing that is like, fuck. Because it's like I had so much guilt. I knew you were, like, a good person. It's not like we were both on drugs and, like, we both did fucked up shit to each other. It's like you're, like, an innocent bystander. And I just felt so bad. And I remember just thinking, like, I don't think I can get clean with, like, the guilt of it. It was just almost unbearable. Like, all I did was think about how fucked up it was, all the shit that I did. Not just to you, but, like, to everybody and, like, my family. And then, like, at school, it would just get brought up all the time. Any conversation I would have with someone, all they would do is bring up, like, oh, remember that time you got, like, tasered by the cops? Or, like, remember when this happened or whatever? And I'm trying to, like, build a new identity, right? Right. I remember just hearing, like, people snicker and laugh and, like, rumors. I don't want to make it like a poor me story, but like at that time, I had like such little confidence about anything else in my life that I just couldn't see light at the end of the tunnel. I've been clean for months and like nothing's changing. No, I think that that is totally valid. It's hard when people are bringing up parts of your past that you still have some guilt or some shame about when you're trying to create this new identity. Mm -hmm. I think that takes a lot of time to move forward and then be okay with some of those memories or how people think about you. Someone was like, dude, why does Brooks Alice hate you? And I was like, I don't it's know. A long story. <laughs> it's a long story. <laughs> and someone was like, yeah, I remember asking them, like, bringing you up. And she was like, yeah, he did fucked up shit to me for years. I'll just never talk to him ever again. I remember I used to just be like, you know, maybe we'll never be friends. Or like, we'll never even. Because a part of me was like, I don't even want her to be friends with me. I just don't want to be hated because it's like, I don't know, it just sucks so bad. It just was like, there were times I couldn't sleep. I was just thinking like, God, I'm such a piece of shit. Like, why the fuck do I do this stuff? People would always ask me like, what is it with you and Brooke? And like a part of me was like, I don't know. Like we were just friends. When we, and a part of me was like, this was like in middle school that you were friends with her, Brian. You know, like you guys aren't even friends anymore. Like you haven't been friends for years. And I think when I was on drugs, like, Years passed by, but they were like so fast because you're just fucked up the whole time. You don't realize it. And a part of me thinks that like, no, we're still like friends. I was just high, you know? (laughs) And then you'd be like, no, like never going to talk to you ever again. I hate you. And I was just like, wow. We had a class together. Do you remember that when I was clean? And you like switched classes? No, that was when you were still using. When I was still using? <laughs> I switched I switched out of that class. You were like, I that need to go. That was the memory that I was sharing. You are yeah. like, I need to go. I think I switched out of it. I think that's what happened. Yeah? So I think in senior year, I was in one of your classes and I switched out of it. Okay. Because I feel like I need to be respectful and just like not even be near you. You have a better memory than I do. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it was. I remember like we had a class together and I was like, oh, I can't do this. I need to just go. 
Do you remember when I was eat lunch by myself all the time? I was telling someone that today. I they're think like, I was just on the opposite <laughs> yeah. side of the lunchroom. <laughs> I told someone that today. They're like, why would you eat lunch by yourself? I was like, I don't know. I just didn't talk to anyone at school. Dea and Carlo were in my class, who are like your two like best friends. Mm-hmm. I didn't start hanging out with them until after high school. They were also like my only friends, like in high school, towards the end. Yeah. You know, I think like last month of senior year, they like invited me to do something. I remember Carlo <laughs> told me that you guys had a class together and she mm-hmm. would try with like every ounce of energy in her body to like not laugh at your jokes and <laughs> couldn't help it and would just laugh at a lot of the stuff that you said. And then I remember her telling me that you guys had become friends and I was so angry. Wow. <laughs> I felt uh, betrayed Betrayed. at the time, yeah. Yeah, and a part of me was like, I don't really want to be friends with, like, Brooke's friends, but, like, honestly, in the class, it was, like, the only people, like, that ever really talked to. They're pretty great people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I remember the end of senior year, and I had friends in NA, so, like, in recovery, like, I had friends, and, like, yeah, they were always, like, older than me, and, like, we would go to the diner, and we'd go do karaoke and we'd go to the beach but like I never had like anyone like my age that I was friends with and there was times during the whole class it would be like Dea and like a couple other people talking about stuff and I remember this one time they were talking about like the movie City of God and they were going to watch it and it's like one of my favorite movies and I was like I'm s- sitting right here like they're going to invite me and uh, they were like oh you guys want to come over Friday to watch it and they were like yeah yeah I'm just like sitting there and I was just like no, they're not going to invite me. Okay. But it's like a part <laughs> of me, like, <laughs> I just go fuck myself. <laughs> but like a part of me, like, really wanted to just do something normal that kids did. Cause like I never, I had never done that before. Yeah. Like, I didn't even know what it was like to just go hang out at someone's house. Like I was hanging out at meetings and like going to halfway houses, you know? I remember like the end of school, they, they were like, we planned a movie night at my house. And I was like so excited. I felt like a little kid. Hmm. Like I was probably like, what, 18 years old. And like for the first time ever, like I was having people come over that were like normal, that weren't drug addicts, that were just like kids from high school. And I was so excited. And I remember I told my sister, like, having people come over. And she's like, who's coming over? And she was, like, leaving to go somewhere. I was like, just friends? She's like, what friends are coming over, Brian? I was like, friends from school. She's like, you don't have any friends from school, you liar. Who's coming over? And she was like, didn't want to leave the house because she wanted to make sure, like, who was coming over, you know? I probably had a year clean. My sister was still, like, on edge with me, you know? Yeah. And then that's when we started having movie nights. We're all besties now. Yep. I think it still took some time. I think it took a couple years. I think when I had 18 months, we had talked a little bit about school. And to me, that was like the biggest victory. You were like, hey, I've been going to this school or whatever. And like, it was like probably a 10 minute conversation, not even like five second conversation, but it was like normal and it wasn't like forced. And I was like, okay, cool. I remember when we all started to hang out, I remember being like, still not knowing how to interact around you. And I remember being a little bit nervous. And I feel like over time that that kind of just like dissipated and we started to become friends mm-hmm. again. Like I remember it took a long time. we like thought the same joke at the same time one time. And I was like, okay, I guess, I guess we can be friends again. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, being so nervous too, because it's like, I don't know. I just had like this guilt and shame and it's like embarrassing. It was like embarrassing. Like a lot of times people 
look at drug addicts and think like they're enjoying themselves or whatever. But like deep down inside, like being an addict is embarrassing. Like it's just humiliating, like coming up with lies that you know people don't believe, stealing shit that like you know is like a value of someone you care about, you know? I don't know, when we first started hanging out, I remember it was like, this is really happening, this is crazy, you know? Cause I literally thought it would never happen. So many things in my life, like that wasn't even like something I like thought would happen. I think like it took like three or four years for us to even just be like on normal friendship level because we would just hang out because like I was hanging out with Carla and Dan and you were just like, oh, okay, whatever, I'll hang out too. No, you're right. It definitely took time and for us to, I think, to build an authentic friendship again mm -hmm. and more of a vulnerable friendship for us to hang out one-on-one -on -one too. I think that took a lot of time too, yeah, not in sure. a group setting. Yeah, what happened with you? Because I know that you traveled. Because yeah. there was times where you were still traveling. So that also played into it because there was times where you just weren't in America. Yeah, yeah, no. And I wasn't very good at phone communication, especially on a different time zone. So, yeah, but I, I lived abroad. Yeah, um, there was, wait, there was periods of your life where you just weren't, didn't respond to text messages. Not just to me. Yeah, not, not just to you. I just yeah. kind of wasn't the best with the phone. Was it before you traveled or after? That. Or both. I just wasn't yeah. the best with the phone. Mm -hmm. I think that that was probably before and after. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think for me, I value presence. And I feel like that is different from our generation mm -hmm. where we're like constantly on the phone, right? It's like that instant gratification. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I like to be into what I'm doing. So if I'm with someone, if we're grabbing yeah. dinner or a meal, or if I'm reading or studying or whatever, I usually answer messages when I'm alone. Yeah. So it takes me a while to get back to people sometimes. Uh, I listened to this Machine Gun Kelly podcast, mm -hmm. and he was like, he only talks about Megan Fox for like two seconds. And I had no idea, but he says that she doesn't use her phone ever, doesn't have social media. He says she went to Europe and didn't bring her phone. Wow. I was like, what? Okay. That's well, pretty crazy. If it wasn't Megan Fox, I would say that that could potentially be like a safety thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she like had a way to call people. But but yeah, that's pretty wild, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, not have your phone. That's I kind crazy. of appreciate that though. I don't know. I just think that... There's like such an expectation and, and a demand for us to respond to things instantly mm -hmm. that I think it could be exhausting, right? It's like we always have to be on call, right? Yeah. And like we're— or people expect us to answer fast or there's something up. Yeah, Which, right? Let's go back to email communication. It's like respond at your own yeah, time. Yeah, own time. Yeah, hey, I emailed you last week. Oh, <laughs> get, get around to that. Yeah, I never got mad or anything, <laughs> FYI. I was, because I knew, I was like, uh, it's so Your cool. diary says different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so cool. Well, not after, but it's like, I knew that, uh, like, our relationship was, like, way beyond anything I had ever even thought it would be like. When you started traveling, like, wh when did you decide to do that? After college graduation, I moved to New York and was doing a couple internships in the city. Mm -hmm. At the time, I was doing an editorial internship and a PR internship, and I was really into fashion at the time, which feels like another lifetime for me, mm -hmm. and journalism. And I was looking up programs for fashion journalism and found that one of the only programs was in Italy. And I'm Italian. My, my grandfather's from Italy. 
I mean, I had visited there a couple times, but I felt this pull to want to live there. Mm -hmm. So I ended up going to Italy for a program. It ended up not being in fashion journalism. It ended up being in fashion brand management. And I was there for a year and then spent time traveling after that. I was in Dubai, spent a little bit of time in China, and then spent half a year in India and then came back. So let's back up. What was Italy like? Italy, I think, was really special for me because being in America, and I I think I also grew up in a very high-functioning anxiety household that mm-hmm. I was in that mentality of, like, you know, go, 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 go. go. Yeah, do, do, do. Our Italian's just, like— It's the opposite. Wait. Let's have some pasta. Yeah, let's take a three-hour break. Let's have a siesta. Let's have, like, a three-hour meal. It's the opposite of America, which I think was great for me because at the time, before Mm -hmm. going to bed, I would write down, like, my whole next day, by the hour, have everything planned out, like, to the T, right? It was just, like, such about productivity and this idea that, like, the more productive I was, the more successful I was. But I feel like I was missing the now and, like, just the simplicities of life. So being in Italy, I really, like, learned how to enjoy myself, how to enjoy, like, the little indulgences in life Mm -hmm. and take my time with things, which I feel like was really helpful for me. What was Dubai like? So spent about a week in Dubai. Dubai is interesting. It's a kind kind of place where I feel like People like to be seen there. Like, the shopping is insane over there. Mm. They're, like, one of the biggest malls with these crazy golf carts and all this stuff. But then they also have the desert, which is really special. what were you doing in Dubai? School? Yeah. When I was in Italy, it was an international program. Mm -hmm. My closest girlfriends in the program were Indian. One of those girls went to Dubai with her and her, with her to stay with her family there. And then to China, stayed with her family in China. And then went to India and then was kind of visiting my friends in India and kind of took off and did my own thing. But yeah, so I was with a friend who had Did you like Dubai? I did like Dubai, but I don't Because I feel like in Dubai, it's like, it's not really Dubai. It's like what they've built up in the past like 10 years that people go there for. Fancy schmancy shit. Yeah. Do you feel like that? I've never been there. Yeah, no, 100%. It is very like fancy. Um, I've heard a lot of people move there to work and save money and then, like, move somewhere else. It is very, like, a materialistic, very, yeah, materialistic is kind of place. Is it true that it's built all by slaves? Have you heard that? I don't know the the background, <laughs> but so, maybe I should read up on this. I was told that there's, like, this theory, I don't know how true it is, that it was built up by the people of Dubai, and, like, they weren't really paid or not paid well at all, and they built it all up, and it's basically just, like, a tourist trap and they don't really put anything back into, like, the people from Dubai. Mm. And the people from Dubai just kind of exploited. Kind of like how, what cruise lines do to, like, little islands and stuff like that. But on, like, on a massive scale. Mm. I don't know how true that is. India was Worth your favorite? Worth looking into. Yeah. yeah, I loved India. India was really life-changing for me. Mm-hmm. So I grew up traveling a lot. Like, every summer we would go out of the country. So really? Seen, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, so I've seen a lot of Europe, like Australia, not too much of the East at that point. You like Australia? I did like Australia a lot. If it wasn't so far, maybe I would live there. But no, Australia Mm -hmm. is really awesome. Very diverse uh, landscapes, too. Mm -hmm. People are awesome. Okay, so you grew up traveling. So yeah, I, I grew up traveling. India was just completely different to me. It's like my first time actually like living in a third world country. 
And it was very much like the land of dualities. There is a lot of darkness, but a lot of light, brightness at the same Mm -hmm. time, crazy on the same street. You could have the slums right next to the richest person Mm -hmm. in that area. Yeah, a lot of big backpacker communities. So the experience of getting to know a lot of backpackers, but also getting to know the local people. And I had some friends that lived over there too. How do you even, like, to me, it's like so foreign. It's like, how do you even like find a place to stay? Like, how do you know what's like a good place? Like you're staying in hostels. So at first I went there with the idea of staying with a couple friends mm-hmm. and maybe doing an ashram for like a month and then coming back to America. But I ended up deciding to ride out my six month visa over there. So mm-hmm. at first I was with a couple of those friends and got to see their hometown. And then I ended up deciding to backpack and would like meet people along the way. We would decide where we wanted to go or maybe I wanted to go to a different city. You would Mm kind of head off on my own and then meet other people. Something that you kind of just figure out as you go. How would you make money there? Were you working there? No. So I wasn't working there at that time. Mm -hmm. What was uh, like some of the highlights of being in India? One of the highlights was staying in Dharamsala, which is North India. And this Mm -hmm. is a mountain area where the Dalai Lama lives. But I did... A, the Dalai Lama still alive? Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Are there multiple Dalai Lamas, like like a king, or is it just one Dalai Lama? So there's only one, but the Dalai Lama reincarnates. What? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I did a silent retreat, mm-hmm. and how long? It was ten days. Wow. Yeah. I don't know when did I was. Did you cheat? Did I cheat? Oh yeah. well. Okay, so. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. So at the time, I was traveling and with a lot of the backpackers, and I felt like I was always with people. And I kind of hit this point where I felt like I just want to be by myself. I, like, want to go into solitude, and I want to meditate. I feel like there is something for me to do right now. So I really wanted to do Vipassana, which is complete silence, but it was actually full at the time. So next option was to do an intro to Buddhism for 10 days. So I did that. So the way that it's set up is you stay there in a Buddhist temple and you wake up super early. You meditate, you have lecture, you have breakfast, a little bit of leisure time, more lecture. You have a process group where, so you're silent this whole time. So they're lecturing, but you can't talk back. You can ask questions if they come up for you, but you're not allowed to talk to any of your peers. But the one hour for the process groups, you're allowed to talk. So Mm -hmm. you're supposed to get in your groups, talk about questions. They actually give you questions and you're supposed to talk through them together because everyone's kind of learning about Buddhism together. So, you know, there's just a lot coming up, a lot of questions for everyone. So that was the one hour. And it was funny because before this, I like couldn't wait to not talk to anyone. And I love people. I've never had this experience in my life where I didn't want to talk to anyone, but I mean, it happened. So then I'm in in this silent retreat and then it's like all I wanted to do is talk. (laughs) So after the the process group, it's like they would announce that now we're back in silence. And I remember like still trying to chat with like the Israeli guys next to me and like someone else in the group kind of like scolding us. A lot of insights came up. Just people from people from all all over. over. Yeah. Really all over the world. What is the benefit of doing the silence? So I would say that I feel like 
when we're in our day-to-day life and we're so in the doing this, sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to self-reflect, right? So I would say that the benefit of doing something like that is it really offers you a lot of time to gain insights, right? And I truly believe that each one of us like knows what we need for us and for mm-hmm. our life. Like we're the guide of our own life. So I think a lot of answers will come about and time alone and what time is, for reflection. What is B- Buddhism about? Like what's the religion about? I'm like a short <laughs> part. I know it's like they don't worship a god. They worship like if they did worship anything, it would be like principles. I would say that that's partially true, but there are like deities. Mm-hmm. And there's also this idea of like different worlds and karma and that we can be born into different worlds, like based mm-hmm. off of our karma. But they say being born a human is like the pinnacle of that. So to be a human, you must have done something great. Is that true? Yeah, partially. But there's worlds above being a human. I don't remember everything okay, from Buddhism. Hey, I'm just asking questions. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I definitely don't have the best memory. Mm-hmm. But from what I remember, that there are worlds above being a human. Mm-hmm. Like there, there are like worlds of the gods. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like coming back? So coming back was actually really hard. So I will say that my time in silence, what came up for me is I looked really hard at my life and how I was living. And I felt like I was trying to find wholeness in all the wrong places. So like going out drinking, going to bars, like mm-hmm. trying to feel something that didn't wasn't really fulfilling. The work that I was doing before going to India, I felt like wasn't really fulfilling too. So being in silence, I knew that I wanted to get into some kind of service work. Like, mm-hmm. I felt like I wanted it to just mean something. Like, I wanted my life to feel like it had some kind of meaning. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get into service work, had no idea what that meant. So I went back to the States, and that was really hard. I had, like, reverse culture shock. Like, I didn't feel—I remember coming back and still running around, with, like, with my backpack on my back and, like, refused to wear a purse and, like, had <laughs> bindies on my head still. <laughs> And yeah, yeah. I remember like meeting up with friends, but I just didn't really feel like I fit into America anymore. Mm -hmm. I was like, felt like I was in between these like two worlds. Like, okay, I'm, I know that my path right now is not to keep traveling, but I didn't really quite feel like I felt like I fit into America yet. Mm -hmm. So it really took time to kind of like reassimilate. Um, it took time, but but no. So when I came back, I spent a lot of time meditating and doing yoga. And I, mm-hmm. I remember I had like a free one-month membership at a yoga studio. And this is like when I was still looking for a job. Mm-hmm. So you better believe I used up every part <laughs> of that month. I basically lived at that yoga studio. Wow. And when I wasn't at the yoga studio, I was home meditating. But I remember just being like in such deep prayer, like, okay, God, I know that I need to get into some kind of service work. I want to get into some mm-hmm. service work, but what does that mean, right? Like, that's so that's so vague. So I remember just, like, trying to put the pieces back together, but started working in PR. Was working I remember for, that. I forgot. Yeah, I was working for a PR travel company, and at first I enjoyed it, but then I started to have this kind of same feeling that I felt like it just wasn't fulfilling for me. Like, I felt like I wanted to be doing something that was people-facing, And I remember, at least at my job, it was very, like, copy-paste. It wasn't very creative. I wasn't in front of people. I was just kind of like, why the fuck does this matter? Mm -hmm. Like, what am I doing? Like, this kind of goes against the values that came up for me. 
So I remember at the time, one of my friends reached out and asked if I wanted to become a facilitator for this program. It's called Body Image 3D. Mm -hmm. So it was like basically like a three-hour long workshop for college women to promote a healthy mind, body, and spirit. So it was basically like a, a big group counseling session. So I got involved in that. And my first time doing that, I was like, wow, this feels natural to me. This this mm -hmm. feels like it. And at the time, I remember I was looking for programs for grad school and counseling, psychology, comparing the different programs. And then I decided to go back for my master's in clinical mental health counseling. So that's when you made your decision to dive into that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Did you know you wanted to be like a therapist eventually? It wasn't something that I knew like my entire mm -hmm. life. I'd say my life was definitely like a journey of doing a lot of different things that kind of mm -hmm. led me to that. I also definitely had my own struggles too. Mm -hmm. Like I had my own struggles with mental health at that time. So I had some great travels, had a great experience, and it's not like everything was, like, perfect. So yeah. I had my own struggles of having an eating disorder. So that came about in college, and that lasted up until I came back from living abroad. Wow. Yeah, and I remember, like, trying to heal myself from that. When I got back from abroad, like, I thought— everything was good and was like, okay, have a handle on this. Mm -hmm. And I remember like having an experience and then just deciding like, okay, I think I need to talk to someone. Mm -hmm. What was it like, like overcoming that? Like if someone's struggling right now with ED, eating disorder, like what are the steps that they should take with it? Because I think that people don't do anything until it gets really severe when like family members start like finding out, but you can obviously get help before that. Yeah. So I would say like, Eating disorders are are pretty tough because it's a silent disorder, mm -hmm. right? Like with drugs, it's kind of like out in the open or mm -hmm. like there's people in your group that know. It's like eating disorder is very silent. There's a lot of shame that comes with it. No one probably knows. But I would say first step is going to talk to a therapist probably, right? Like mm -hmm. I remember for me, I had so much fear about telling anybody. Like I felt like I don't remember any of my friends like opening up to me about that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something I really heard much about. So I kind of felt like no one else was going through this and yeah. it was only happening to me at the time. Yeah, and it's so prevalent. I didn't know yeah. how prevalent it was until I started working in treatment because yeah. I would probably say like 60, 80% of women that have substance abuse issues are also battling with eating disorder or when they get clean, that's when they start dealing with it because they do gain a lot of weight after they put drugs down. They start eating a whole bunch. You know, your body retains a lot of water from detoxing. It's like every single person I've not every single, but a lot of them have dealt with ED in some way or form. No, it, it's tough and it is something that was, that is really prevalent, right? And majority of people and women will experience mm -hmm. a form of an eating disorder or disordered eating at some point in their lifetime. And my uh, supervisor, I think, says it really well that we live in a society that has an eating disorder, right? <laughs> like it's, you know, you turn on the TV or, you know, your Instagram ads and there's some kind of diet that's being pushed, right? Mm -hmm. Like all these fad diets. Like ask me what a healthy relationship with food looks like. You know, I feel like that's that's hard to even answer, mm -hmm. right? Like I think it's because it's one of the few things in life that we feel like we can control too. So, right? Like, so maybe if we're under a lot of pressure, maybe we end up don't eating or maybe mm -hmm. we decide to like eat out of comfort, right? 
right? Yeah, so it's like the whole cycle of like, uh, like I always joke about having an eating disorder. <laughs> now someone had told me that it's disordered eating, you yeah. know, where it's like uh, I love to binge and then I like body shame myself to like work out really hard, you know. I think that the issue with eating is like say fuck it and then overeat, then feel so horrible, wish I didn't eat that at all. And then just like reprimand myself in my head, like, why the fuck did you do that? You have no discipline. And it's like, it could be so extreme that like, I could be feeling so good, like fit and going to the gym. And then I'm like, I'll just have one Oreo. And then I have like that one cookie. And then my brain is like, see, you can't do anything, you know? And then it's just like, well, you know, since you already had one cookie, you might as well just eat the rest of the cookies and like it goes into like you can't be your word you said you weren't gonna eat bad and here you are eating bad and then it goes to like you're a piece of shit you know yeah yeah and i think everyone it goes down really fast it's like oh you fucked up on your diet to like no one will ever love you again (laughs) look at you (laughs) right yeah i feel like even some of that can go back to childhood right Mm -hmm. like because we're we're not even brought up with knowing what intuitive eating is right it's like a lot of times parents at the dinner table Finish will say, plate. eat all your food, right? And that can lead to issues with portion control, mm-hmm. right? So we're not really taught how to be in tune with our bodies. When we're hungry, learn what our hunger cues are, when mm-hmm. is enough. Yeah, and I think a lot of me eating healthy is not letting myself get that hungry. And I feel like that's a lot of people's issues. And for me, it's like there are times where I'm like super strict or working out twice a day and I'm busy and I'm super happy because I haven't eaten a lot today and then I let myself get too hungry and then I'm at a dinner table with all these people and I'm starving and then I'm just like, I'll just eat everything. (laughs) And it's like, um, you know, it takes a lot of discipline to make sure you don't get to that point used to getting to that point because I have friends trying to lose weight all the time and I need to tell them like dude you're not eating enough yeah what you're doing is you're not eating for like six seven hours like binging and then like not eating for another three or four hours and then binging again and it's like you're not gonna raise your metabolism like that like you have to constantly be eating enough portions and you don't ever want to feel starving you know? right yeah no you got to keep your blood sugar steady mm-hmm. how has it been being a clinician Honestly, the greatest gift. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel really lucky and blessed to have come to this work. It's something that I really love. I feel fulfilled from. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I feel like the challenge for me has been to not overload myself. I feel like for me, it's been like my personal boundaries with knowing how many clients I could see back to back before I need a break. Mm -hmm. Like what's my sweet spot with a caseload. In terms of like what I'm doing, I really love it and I wouldn't change it for anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I try to like talk about therapy a lot on the show because it's just crazy. Like people spend all this money on spas and like facials and like girls get their nails done and like guys whatever do all sorts of shit today. And like it's like we do so much self-care. But when it comes to therapy, people think that you have to be like going through a divorce to get therapy or like have a drug problem to get therapy. Everybody can benefit off therapy. And I think people go to like one therapist and don't like it and then just don't ever figure out another one. Yeah. I would say that you have to go to like three, four, maybe even five therapists to find one that really works for you. And also with therapy, it's just like anything else. Like if you go to a $20 massage place, it's not going to be the same thing as going to like a $100 one. You might not have to go to like a $500 an hour therapist, but you definitely get what you pay for with therapy. And you have to find like what works for you. But it is like a night and day difference. Like I was telling someone today, like going to therapy gives you so much clarity. It's given me so much clarity where 
I'll be indecisive about something that I'm doing in my life or like my business or something like that. And I'll go to therapy and like my therapist can just like make it so crystal clear for me where as soon as I walk out of there, I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly what I'm going to say to somebody and I can live my life feeling like just like you feel like 20 pounds lighter. You know, you just feel like, wow, I've been looking at it all wrong or I really thought I was responsible for that and I'm really not. And it just feels like, like I have a cleaning lady. And when I walk into my house after she's cleaned the whole house, it just feels so good knowing that the house is clean. And that's how I feel when I go to therapy. And it's like the best thing that I've ever done for self-care. I just want other people to go. It's like crazy. It blows my mind that people don't go. Yeah, I know. I'm really glad that things are changing, though. I think Mm -hmm. we still have a a long way to go. But I think that the stigma is definitely lessening. And with social media, the power of it is a lot of people Mm -hmm. are sharing therapy-related content. People think it's, like, cool to go to therapy now and to work on themselves, right? So I'm super grateful about that. But, yeah, therapy definitely changed my own life in so many ways, too. Mm -hmm. And I know I can definitely get caught in my emotional brain. So my current therapist, I feel like she just is very rational. So I could just come in just with a lot of stuff. And she's just very like, you know, just very rational, kind of to the mm-hmm. point, no bullshit. And I really respect that about her. And I, I also have to say, as someone who has like a tendency to people please, she does not people please, mm-hmm. has such firm boundaries, like is so cool. authentic, so herself, gives zero fucks. And mm-hmm. I just love that about her so much. Yeah. Yeah. I love my therapist. Like, my therapist <laughs> has said some things to me that have been like, yeah, he's just like so on point. Like there's been so many times where he's like, well, is it really anyone's fucking business? Like, he's just, like, so on point. Like, you know, Brian, I really think that if that's the worst thing you're doing, like, you know, I think it's okay. And, like, sometimes we're just so hard on ourselves that when you get, like, an unbiased opinion from someone who's not, like, a friend, it just reaffirms what you already know. There's been times where I've gone to therapy and felt like I have, like, nothing going on and whatever. And then, like, I'll leave there being like, wow, I need to change X, Y, and Z, like, immediately. Yeah. I don't know. It's great. One last question. What do you see yourself doing in the future? So right now I'm working at a group practice and I just registered my business. Mm -hmm. I registered my LLC. It's called A New Story Counseling LLC. Wow. Yeah. So I will be working right now with clients in Colorado, but once I'm licensed and probably six months, I'll be working with clients in Florida too. Mm -hmm. So my vision... Well, can you do therapy via Zoom with people all over the country or only people in Colorado? So only in the state that you're licensed in or working towards licensure. Mm -hmm. I am working towards licensure, but since I'm not licensed right now Mm -hmm. in Florida, I can't work with clients in Florida yet. But I am having supervision in Florida. Mm -hmm. So like my Colorado clients, Mm -hmm. I'm using those cases to work towards my licensure. I feel like that's going to change with the way like the world is changing because it's like if you're a doctor in Florida, people are doing so much telehealth that it's like at what point are they just going to have like a state or nationwide thing where it's like you can treat someone in another state because it's like people are diagnosing people via Zoom right now. It like blows blows my mind because I'm not like a fan of Zoom and telehealth because I guess I'm just like old fashioned in that sense. I just think it's crazy. But a lot of people are like, dude, I went to my dermatologist on Zoom. Yeah. I'm like, you're out of your fucking mind. Yeah. Well, I will say to answer your question about working across state lines. So there's something happening right now called the counseling the counseling compact. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a bill that different states can sign and be part of to allow clinicians to work from wow. state to state. So Florida is actually on the counseling compact. Mm-hmm. 
think there's maybe like eight cool. states on that still waiting for Colorado to join. Mm-hmm. But I think it's great because it opens up more access to mental health. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought the same thing as you. I thought that I remember. So when I was doing my internship is when COVID happened. So mm-hmm. everything became remote. I had my worries about it being as effective too, but I liked it. A lot of clients liked it too. I work with my therapist over Zoom. I'll have clients who come in primarily wanting in person and then we'll do a Zoom session maybe because they're sick, Mm -hmm. I'm sick, maybe. And then they stick to Zoom. And then they love it and then they realize, oh, okay, well, I just saved gas money. Gas prices are crazy. It's simple, convenient. Right? Yeah, I saved an hour out of my day driving back and forth. So, hey, I'm here for it. Yeah, some people like it. And I know I need to like get with the times. I feel like I'm getting old. It's just- But we're all different. Yeah, we're all different. Hey, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Love you very much. When do you go back to Colorado? Um, tomorrow, actually. I know. I feel like it wasn't long enough. I could have used another week. It actually snowed when I was heading to Florida. Damn. So hopefully it's warm now. All right. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.